15-month-old baby, which I would show a picture of him, but all of your brains would melt because he literally is the cutest baby ever, and if you have to argue with that, then I will punch you in the face. Uh, but we, have, we literally have people stop us all the time and go, this must sound creepy, but you're the cutest baby ever. And I'm like, yes, it's creepy, but it's also true. We actually had someone give us free pie one time because he was so cute. Have you ever had that? No. See? <laughs> you cry because your baby was cute. But we got pie, so there you go. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of the student ministries here at Christ Chapel. Um, and I've been doing student ministry clubs for a long time. And uh, a lot of my middle schoolers that when I first started uh, volunteering in college uh, are now grown up. They're married, have kids, all that kind of stuff. And so I've seen a large chunk of my students grow up and encounter the world and encounter the not-so-nice-and-easy box of questions that we've tried to answer in student ministries. And so I've been passionate about how can we help, um, you know, facilitate honest dialogue in the church. Um, not only that, I, I went through a time, and, and like a, as in I went through a time, as in I'm still in a time, uh, but intensely out of college where I started going, what am I, do I really believe all this stuff? And I started, you know, having, you know, secret conversations with people going, oh, if I have this, if I ask this question, does that mean that I'm not a believer? Does that mean that I'm being unfaithful to God? Does that mean that I don't really agree with the church? And I had all these wrestling because I just I saw the world, and I think we live in a world where, because of our connectivity to other people, both digitally and in the world that we live in, um, where we are engaged um, and inter interacting with people who are very different from us all the time. And um, that forces us to answer the question, when we encounter people that we like, we encounter, encounter people that we respect, who also think very differently than us, it makes us wrestle with the conclusions that we maybe have grown up um, with. Um, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I didn't have necessarily someone walking me through these things, so I had to try to figure it out on my own. And the more and more I, uh, I walk down this path, and I see teenagers who are walking down this path, the more I uh, get, about, get passionate about this idea that the God that we worship, Jesus, the Word uh, incarnate, is able to handle our questions and our wrestling and our doubts. That to voice those things either internally or uh, verbally is not some sort of betrayal towards God. Um, and so I, I heard this uh, one thing uh, that I'll share with you. Uh, this idea that we uh, can't control when we doubt, but we can control how we doubt. And it's this idea that um, we may not, we may have a question pop up. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you go, I never thought about that before. Holy crap, you know? <laughs> uh, those questions that just we can't seem to get over. We, can, we can't always control when those questions pop up in our brains, um, but we can control how we engage those questions. And, and that's what I love about this room tonight, is this is an opportunity for us to wrestle with the questions uh, that we're dealing with uh, in a way that, that has a trajectory towards, towards God. Not in a way that we're going to give you the answers, 
right? Tonight isn't about me giving you all the answers to this question. Uh, is Jesus the only way? So that when you encounter the conversation, you go, okay, let me put up a question. You know, my answer isn't like, we all wish we had that, but there's no, there's too many questions and not enough answers. And I'm convicted because I work with uh, students that for, for too often the church has said, here are the questions that we think you're going to encounter, and we're going to give you all the right answers. And as long as you have the right answers in your script, then when you go, and then you'll be able, you'll be good, you'll be fine. And then we get out in the real world, like, I didn't know that question exists, right? <coughs> you know, is Jesus myth? I never thought about that. You know, all those kind of things. So tonight is a dialogue, and it is um, something that I'm I'm passionate about. So the question is this: Is Jesus the only way? Yes. All right. Yeah, let's go. Um, right? There is a, a word. Um, by the way, I am not an apologist. I am not a theologian. I'm a middle school pastor. So if I get a word wrong, and like, you can call me on it and be like, no, that's actually the way. Okay, thanks. But um, pluralism, right? Fancy. This is awesome. So. The idea is, is Jesus the only way? That question gets brought up a lot. And again, we live in a world where I can, I can uh, send out a tweet or post something on Instagram, or I can just connect with somebody who is very different from me. And I grew up, I grew up going to a school where, a high school where, uh, in my friend group, there was black, white, Filipino, Muslim, atheist, all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of got along. And we live in a world where getting along is a big, big value. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to make anyone feel like less of a person. And isn't it like, it's kind of dizzying now to live in a world where we've got to, we've got to figure out what a person's thing is, whether it's gender, religion, race, whatever brand of thing that there is, we've got to figure out what that is and we've got to somehow totally embrace it. You ever feel that pressure? Like, whatever that person is, and whatever they identify with most, we've got to somehow reach out to them and embrace it wholeheartedly as if it was the best thing ever. Right? And there are some positives to this. Right? We live in a world, like Fort Worth, Texas, when I moved here in 1998, did not have the diversity in food that it does now. Right? I can go get Thai food. I can go get Japanese food. I can go uh, get great different types of food. Pluralism, in some sense, allows us to say, hey, people from different cultures, this is awesome, this is great. But this isn't about food, is it? It's about the deeper level questions. Um, and it's not just about getting along. It's about how do we interact with people who have very different values from us. And so one way that we as a society have said, this is how we're going to deal with it. We're all going to get along. It's like, you know, your parents say, you know, when you and your brother or sister are going to fight, right? You're just going to shake hands and say what? I'm sorry. Does that ever mean you're really sorry? No, it's like, it's like okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fart on your pillow <laughs> when you're sleeping. But mom thinks we're doing all right, you know. Uh, so pluralism is this idea that we can get along. And our way of getting along is saying, hey, we're all on equal footing. It's all good, right? Um, 
and it's attractive. Uh, we don't want to offend people. Anyone want to walk like some of you are jerks, and you want to go around offending people. Uh, but most of us, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be labeled as what? What are some labels that we as Christians can have for having an exclusive faith? Intolerant. Intolerant. What? Bigots. Fundamentalist. Narrow-minded. Right? These are the labels. Hypocritical. And those are weapons that society is placing on Christians. Um, fanatic, extremist, right? Those are, those are weapons that people use to, in some sense, diffuse any argument that we may have for an exclusive faith. And so whenever you say, uh, I believe something as an absolute, you're, you run the risk of offending somebody, right? You run the risk of offending somebody. You know, like when Ben says, I love Boy George... It's the best guy ever, right? Like, hmm, awesome. Some of you aren't getting that cultural reference, which is awesome. Um, look it up, boy George. So pluralism, okay? Here's the, the idea. Um, for one, just uh, take a step back. What is pluralism? Pluralism is basically saying all worldviews are the same. They're equal. And it sounds good, right? We don't want to offend people. Uh, we don't want to make them feel bad. Uh, it also makes us feel open-minded, right? It makes us feel, like, enlightened. Um, it also is, like, permission, right? So if we, underneath the, um, the umbrella of pluralism, now it's this idea, it's opening up the door for saying, okay, whenever I encounter something that doesn't fit in my mindset, or... I don't have to, makes me want to have to adjust to do something I don't want to do. Now I can say, man, I just don't feel that that's right for me. Right? And we as Christians use that all the time. I encounter students all the time, like, hmm, man, I know that the Bible says uh, that sleeping with my girlfriend is wrong, but it just, it just doesn't feel right to me. I don't think that that's for me. So whenever we, get, we encounter a, a, a view that is anti-us, now we have this, okay, well, there are multiple ways to live out our faith. Right? And certainly there are, but um, we can say, man, it's just not right for me. So it gives people permission to kind of do whatever they want, whatever feels good. Um, and it means that we don't have to be held accountable for our actions. That's what's... Um, and, and under this is our society has determined that one of our virtues, like if we were to, to name one of our virtues as a society, I think that one of our society's virtues would be this, would be acceptance, tolerance, whatever you want to call it. But that idea of, you must accept me no matter what. You've got to. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And if you don't agree with me, then you are the one who's in the wrong. Or if you don't accept me, or if you don't let me do whatever I want. <coughs> right, which sounds great. It sounds like, man, that sounds like an awesome thing. But in reality, which I, what I hope to do tonight is to unpack that and for us to discuss, is, one, is acceptance the best ultimate value that we should base our lives on? Um, and two, 
Is the idea that all roads leading to God, um, is that really acceptance? Because in all these questions that we talk about as far as our faith and defending our faith, um, a lot of times we feel like it's, it's up to us to say, like, here's our rock-solid case. And you come to me and, like, I got my case right here. Let me, let me uh, whip out all my arguments and talk to you and say, like, you know. The reality is there is just as much um, the onus is on the other person to answer back for what they believe as you feel the onus to answer back to what you believe. And I think that we have to be intelligent. We have to be reasoned. We have to think through what we believe. But you can ask good defensive questions to disarm what they're saying when they come and when other people come and ask you questions, right? Because we feel like, oh, we can't ask a question. And if we ask a question that's like kind of pointed, then we're what? We're closed-minded, open-minded, all that kind of stuff. So here's, uh, here's one. So what are the implications? This is what just at your tables for the next like two, three minutes. What are the implications um, of living in a society where acceptance is a high virtue? And... Um, and is that a good thing? Okay? So take two, three minutes, just discuss it. Uh, is, yeah, I don't have my, my computer to go that. Yeah. Uh, at your table, just talk about what are the implications of living in a society where acceptance is like the high virtue? Like, what is it like in your world when ex acceptance, that virtue, is the, the utmost thing? And then, is that good or is that bad? Okay? Ready? Go. That it's not all bad, right? Sometimes that uh, pluralism and acceptance are good. We don't want to live in a world where there's rampant racism. We don't want to live in a world where, you know, there's inequality, all those kind of things. But it's like, what is that boundary? Where, when do we line, right? And um, we live in a world right now that's extremely divided. This nation is extremely divided over something very passionate, right? What is that? What's going on right now? <laughs> the election, right? Isn't it funny that we, right, one of the main reasons why we say, well, we should just accept uh, other people and get along and all that kind of stuff, is it causes drama, it causes problems, right? But nobody, it's interesting, nobody's sitting there going, well, we should ban every, everybody from uh, different opposing political views. Nobody's sitting there going, well, well differences, uh, in fact, very strong differences are bad for the country. We may not necessarily agree with the direction that the election seems to be going or whatever, but at least we agree that it's okay for some ideas to win out. It's okay for there to be strong disagreement, and we can um, make waves. Okay, so um, what I'm thinking is, the idea is we want to, the opposite of pluralism, acceptance, is the idea of exclusivity. Nobody wants to sit there and say, put themselves out on the limb and say, I think that what I believe is right. Even if that means that what you think is wrong. We learn that from a young age, that if we go out on a limb and we say, oh yeah, I'm wholeheartedly, I'm in favor of whatever. Then what's going to happen? Somebody behind us is going to, they're going to cut us down, whatever. So we... 
as a, as a people, we, we learn, okay, if I stick my neck out, something's bad going to happen to me. So we, um, even when there is claims of exclusivity in what we believe, we don't want to, there's like a social risk in, in doing that, and we want to avoid that. So um, we're going to, I think, unpack the idea that exclusivity is not necessarily a bad thing, um, and, and in fact, it's, it's a good thing, and in fact, we want it. And actually, everybody wants it, because everybody practices it. So, um, for my working definition of do all religions, or do many religions, um, is Jesus the only way? Oh, I'm just going to have a working definition, this is not like textbook necessarily, of what is a religion? Um, but here's what I'm, I'm using as a basis, right? One, um, there is a master narrative. And what I mean by that, there's an overarching story of how this whole thing puts together. And why I say master narrative instead of belief system um, is because now this includes everybody who says, I believe I'm an atheist, um, and this is the way I see the world work. The master narrative means that now what we're talking about is everyone with a worldview and a belief system. It's not just somebody who says, well, I believe in a God. Is a religion because if you, I mean, there are many religions out there that actually don't accept a, a God that we see. So that's what I'm saying. Master narrative. Uh, the second thing um, is it gives an account um, for the meaning of life. So not only does it say um, why we're here or what's going on, um, but this is what the meaning of life is. Is it to be fruitful and multiply? Is it to make disciples? Is it to have a relationship with a creator? Is it to find oneness, right, as uh, certain religions have? Find oneness with the universe or whatever. What is the meaning of life? And then, um, prescription. a prescription or a way to live. How do I live according to the master narrative, the meaning of life, and the and the um, and the prescription of how you do that? Right. Now, if that if that runs up to beyond simply people who adhere to the five major or six major religions, now it's going beyond that. Say, if I'm an atheist, if I'm an agnostic, uh, I have a framing story. That's another way of saying master narrative. I have a framing story that I'm living my life by, and it could be. As simple as, I don't think there's a, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to enjoy life while I can. That is a master narrative. That is a framing story. Um, and that is my prescription on how to live. So once you start seeing that, and you start realizing that every person walking on this planet has a religion. Now, they may not say they have a religion. They may not call themselves religious. But they have a religion and because of that, there are going to be conflicts between what they believe, their master narrative, and yours all the time. So we can, we can do a couple things with this. I mean, it exists. It's there. So what, how are we as a society going to do it, right? The first way, first way uh, happens in a lot of fun countries that we don't want to visit, uh, is we ban either all religion or we ban the ones that disagree with us. Right? Examples of that. Saudi Arabia. What? Saudi Arabia. North Korea. North Korea. Communist Syria. countries, right? 
how well does that work as a society? Good? Anyone want to live there? No? Even, right, I would think that even us as Christians, living in a Christian nation, right? Don't tell me what I said there. Uh, but even us as Christians inherently probably would say, I don't want to live and create a culture where we force people to become a Christian. Right? Does anybody really, I mean, you may want that. I, I want people, I want as many people to come to Christ, but I don't want to force it. I don't want to make it a thing where it's mandatory. Um, so the second one is we can discourage it or we can make it hard for religious adherents to do that. And that's where a bulk of these things are. So one of the ways, and have you heard the, like, the, there's two, like, parables about this, right? There's the parable of the mountain, right? The idea is there's a mountain, uh, and, and we're all just trying to climb the mountain, right? It sounds very peaceful, like, we're all just, and God is on top of the mountain, like he's Luke Skywalker or something like that. And we're all just trying to <laughs> climb the mountain. And you know what? There are a lot of different ways to climb the mountain. You can climb the mountain this way or this way, and we're all going to get there. It's all, right? Oh, this sounds neat. You're on your journey. Good job. And I'm on my journey, right? You ever hear this? My faith journey. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah, it sounds great. It's awesome. Uh, the reality, life doesn't work that way. Mount Everest, right? How many routes are there to the top of Mount Everest? Anyone know? Well, there's two dominant ones, but there's, there's as many as 16. Okay? So we're talking climbing to the toppest. The toppest. The <laughs> I just lost credibility. Uh, the highest mountain on our planet, unless you uh, believe the conspiracy theorists that say K2 is, but, um, right? There's 16, I don't know, some of the thoughts that go through my brain. 16 routes. So if we're talking about climbing a literal mountain that is very hard to get to, and there's 16 routes, we're talking a connection to the creator of the universe. You think that that analogy would, I mean, it doesn't even, it, does, it doesn't even follow suit here. If it's a hill, yes, we can all climb to the top of a hill, like the hill's like, whoa, it's like 15 feet, good job, we can all do this, right? But no, we're talking about having a relationship with a supreme being, a creator or whatever. Do you think that God's going to be like, yeah, whatever you want, it's awesome. Now, it sounds really good, but when we stop and think about it, it's, it's really not the case. The other one is this, the elephant, you ever heard this, like, well, really, we are like blind people groping around an elephant. And one blind person grabs the trunk and says, I think I, I, think I know what it is. It's a snake, right? And the other person grabs the leg and is like, I think it's a tree. And the other one grabs the tail and is like, I think it's a, I don't know what it, I forgot what the story is. But I think it's something other than those two fools, right? And, they, and it's supposed to be like, oh, we're, we all just see a part of the truth. We all just see a little part of the truth. Okay, those are those both metaphors are stupid ways to base your life, right? They're metaphors, and they break down even if you think about it, and that's what we want to talk about. So, okay, uh, so what I want to do is we're going to introduce some of these uh, ideas on 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 thoughts that come out, um, and then you're at the table, you're going to discuss it, and then we'll talk about it some more. So, this is what I want you to discuss: um, the validity or the, uh, the pros and cons of this statement. And I, I wish I had it from now, but my computer crapped out on me. Um, all major religions are equally valid and teach basically the same thing. You've heard this, right? The golden rule. Love your neighbor. These, right? 
Christianity teaches basically the same thing. And if we all just love each other, uh, follow the faiths, then we'll all just get along, okay? So, is that true? And if not, again, and if not, why not? Because that's a compelling, right? We're all, just, we're all just trying to find out. We're all just teaching the same thing. So, that claim, this is the claim, all major religions are equally valid and teach basically the same thing. True or false? How would you answer that? At your tables, ready, go. Yeah, the thoughts that came up on, on your table. Something just piped up, something either that was set at your table that you really liked or what? Yeah. Physically, sexually, I'm not on board with, right? 
And most people are going to be like, yeah, I'm not on board with that one. Okay, so then you've, like, you've gotten a bunch of other ones. Uh, any faith that offers human sacrifices, and you're like, oh, Old Testament. Okay, that's whoever answers that question of God in the Old Testament differently from God in the New Testament. But there are cannibals, right? There are certain faiths that we go, okay, you may say it's nice to go, like, all paths lead to God. But no, some paths lead to killing people. In their sense, obviously, Christianity, we've done it in the name of Jesus, bad news bears, all that kind of stuff. You don't want to do that. Um, but in the general tenets, right, they're very different. Second, it's not, it's like incredibly dismissive, right? For someone to say, hey, Jesus, the same as Allah, right? The same as uh, Muhammad, his prophet. You're like, oh, that sounds awesome, except for all the people that have spent thousands and thousands of years pouring over the thing that they believe is true and saying, this is the conclusion that we've come, that Jesus is not uh, Muhammad. Oh, you get to come and say, no, it's the same. Oh, thanks for affirming, right? That is very affirming of me as a Christian, right? I can't come to you and say, like, you know, your lifestyle is wrong, but you can come to me and say my faith tradition over thousands of years is basically, eh, it's the same as others, right? Nobody can, you know, what I'm, see, what, what I'm helping you see is when someone says, be accepting, be loving, those very claims of inclusivity, of acceptance, are actually not very tolerant themselves. So they are not practicing what they hold up to be the highest order. Does that make sense? And so you get to ask the question of like, okay, what about the Nazis? You know, they had a religious system, and it led to the slaughter of six million Jews plus. You on board with that one? That one's not getting any closer to God. Um, and this is the idea, like, the, uh, you know, every major religion makes exclusivity claims. So you get me, a Christian pastor, you get a Muslim imam, you get a, um, you know, a Jewish rabbi. We're all going to go like, yeah, not the same. It's not the same at all. And for you to tell me that we are the same? Uh-uh. And what are the, what are the faiths that have the most uh, strong... I've, as I've seen, the most strongest adherents are the ones that actually make uh, exclusive claims. Right? If you, the churches that are dying in America are the churches that aren't holding up that the Bible is actually true, that Jesus actually is who He says He is. You want to, you want to go to an accepting church that is open to whatever and says whatever? I'll show you to a bunch of them. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're dying because nobody wants to really believe in something that doesn't have anything. It's nice and it's good and it allows me to do whatever I want. It allows me to feel spiritual. But every major religion makes ex exclusivity claims. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? Uh, the, the Muslims have, have this. this I'm going to butcher it. So I just said they have an exclusivity claim. They have a lot of them. Right? Uh, but one of them is, there is no God but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So you put Jesus here saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father uh, but through me. And then you have this over here saying, no, it's only through Muhammad. Jesus was just a prophet. Can you integrate those and say, yep, it's the same thing? No. So to reduce all religions into love one another, be kind, 
It's a logical fallacy. It just doesn't happen. And meanwhile, what are they doing? What values are they lifting up? Kindness, acceptance. Who are you to get to say that kindness and acceptance are the ultimate values? Now, you have become, made exclusive claims, right? I say punching you in the face every time you cut me off is my ultimate value, right? Now, I'll get me in jail, but it's my exclusive value. So the idea is that people who say, I want to be inclusive and I want to be accepting, are actually not very inclusive and accepting of themselves. And the moment that that light bulb turned off my, on my brain where I go, oh, everyone makes decisions all the time of what they choose to believe, what they choose to accept, what they choose to include, and what they choose to uh, exclude, they make it all the time. So now we're just deciding which one am I going to believe for myself. So even the most tolerant person in the world makes exclusive claims about truth and faith all the time. And for that to open up to your eyes and go, okay, now when I'm engaging and have a conversation with somebody, you can go, okay, what exclusive claims are they making that they're not really admitting to? Let me say that again. What exclusive claims are they making that they're not really admitting? So at that point, you can say, but you really are upholding this. And this, in your world, is an exclusive claim or an ultimate reality or a framing story. Now, you are no different than the Christian who says Jesus is the way, or the Muslim who says Muhammad, peace be on him, or the, the Mormon, right? You are no different. So stop claiming that you have some sort of objectivity because you don't want to ruffle any feathers. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? That was super helpful for me. Um, okay, so the next one is this, uh, each religion teaches part of the truth but none can see the whole. This is the, uh, this is the, 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 um, the elephant analogy. We're all blind. We just see a part of it. And God is much, you ever heard this? God is much bigger than your narrow faith. I've heard this all the time. Right? God is much bigger, so how can you put him in a box? Okay? Um, so this is out loud, all of us. How would you respond to that? Where you say, all religions, they kind of teach a piece of it. It's like a, it's like a stained glass window, and you're just a little, you know, right? How would you respond to that question? Exactly. Right? Say that, say that louder for everybody. Right? Inherently in that question is the person asking, okay, you don't see the whole picture, but guess what? I do. I see the whole picture. And you, that person is making an exclusive claim right then and there. You're being just as arrogant as you claim I'm being because I say, no, this is the way it is. People claim to be objective all the time, but there is no, you know, let, let's just call it what it is. We are, in fact, choosing what to believe all the time, and nobody is really objective. Right, so this leads like, to the next one. Well, you believe in Christianity because you grew up in America. But if you didn't grow up in America, you grew up in the Middle East, or you grew up in wherever, you would be Muslim, or you would be, if you grew up in Asia, you would be Buddhist. How would you answer that question? Because that's part of it. It's culturally conditioned. David Hume was wrong in the 1700s, and he's wrong now. Okay, so just because it's uh, cultural, like, it, being wrong, it's, it's good. Rephrase that so that I can rephrase it and sound smart. <laughs> Uh, just because someone, so I mean, 
it, it's huge argument against Christianity that you know you are the product of where you are, and to a certain degree, yes, but. The fact that Hume even could make that argument says something about himself, because he was conditioned in a Western, enlightened Europe environment. Does that make sense, everybody? So the, the idea is, I grew up, I'm more enlightened in Europe, right? You in the 1600s, you wanted to, like, you know, burn people in the state. I'm more enlightened than you, so I can make this. That statement that says, I, am, I can see things from a more objective perspective through the history of time, and I'm living in a more enlightened... That statement, living in a Western American culture, like, that is a culturally, I, it's like a, it's a culturally, def, def, like, I'm not able to make that statement in a non-American, I'm trying to phrase this because I'm butchering it. Like everything is cultural. Yeah, everything is cultural, yeah, just because everything is culturally relevant doesn't mean everything is wrong. And even the statement, everything is culturally relevant, is culturally relevant. If, yeah. Right? The truth is the truth. Regardless of where you are in the world, or, or it, it doesn't change over time. Right. The truth is the truth. Yes. And people making truth claims um, or statements that are saying, "Oh, well, it's you know, it doesn't matter. You were you were trained to be this." Well, that statement itself proves that you were from Western America in, in, in the year 2016. Not right. And, and every religion is happy to be. Exclusive, and every there are other cultures that are happy that don't have this problem. They don't feel like, oh my gosh, we gotta accept everything. So those cultures, to them, us being tolerant or open, is like a foreign concept. They're like, what are you like? You're weird. Why do you need to do this? Why do you feel like you need to accept everything? And and again, we accept things all the time based on some sort of idea we accept in this fact. Um, but we just we just choose to ignore those things that, yeah, it's culturally relevant. But I'm still choosing to believe it. Um, so think about this. Um, I read this. All claims about religions are culturally biased, except the one that I'm making right now. That's like that's, that's essentially what they're saying. Uh, everything is culturally biased, except for the statement that I'm making right now, and that's that's the whole idea. Um, is to get to this idea that what people are thinking, <coughs> saying, when the arguments are, that they're making sound loving, sound inclusive, sound like they are making a solid argument, but they're really not. And this is where you get to ask the questions and say, like, do you really believe that? Because if you do, if you really believe, it, yes. Isn't Christianity extraordinary in just how many different cultures it has reached? Like, right. Yeah. Right, exactly. That, that is one of the things um, that I wrote uh, as, as a closing, but it's, it's an awesome idea, is Christianity alone transcends gender, race, class, nationality, and it doesn't demand fully that the person lets go of all these cultural norms. There are some things that are universal, universal but if you go to a, 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 um, the underground church in China, it's going to look vastly different than Christ Chapel. And the gospel works in all those different countries. And that's one of the reasons why I believe in Christianity as opposed to other religions, because other religions force you to be like them. Right? If you switch to uh, Islam, you have to dress like them, you have to learn how to read and write in Arabic, 
You have to, uh, you know, but Christianity works in different cultures because it is actually not exclusive, it's inclusive, it's open to everybody. That's one of the major arguments I feel like for, uh, for Christianity. Um, okay. It's arrogant to insist that your religion is right. Have you ever heard that one? You're just being arrogant. Right? How would you answer that question? Except if I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> Talk about that. Well, if I don't tell you, if, if I believe that this is truth, um, or I guess I'm arrogant if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, yeah, I'm a jerk. But if I believe this is truth, it is the least arrogant thing I can do. Yeah. Exactly. Right? If you believe it, it's not arrogant to share. Yes? As Christians, we believe in matters of life and death importance when it comes to saving souls. And I've often thought that kind of statement we're reacting against would be the same as if you had somebody with a broken arm or a leg, and a doctor comes up to us. Oh, you're almost sticking out. You know, I have to set your leg. Your leg's broken. I have to help you. Don't judge us, It's not broken. Who are you to judge my <laughs> Right? We take, yes. We want narrow, and the doctor is a great example of, when I go to the doctor, I want a narrow prescription for what ails me. Right? If I go to the doctor and my son uh, has, you know, 140 degree heat fever and is throwing up and all that kind of stuff, I don't want to go. I don't want a doctor to be like, yeah, uh... I mean, there could be like 50 things wrong with him. <laughs> so pick one, uh, and we'll just treat that, and you should be good, right? We don't. In all sorts of areas of life, we want specificity. When our computer goes down, and we have to Google, you know, like our the, our IT questions because that's what we all do, right? We have, right? We determine, like, okay, this problem doesn't fit my my symptoms. So why is it that if it's claims about the ultimate destination of our souls and the ultimate reality of the universe, why would we want vague generalities? Like tomorrow, I'm going to the Rangers game. Yay, me, awesome, right? I don't want the, the umpires going, I think that was a ball, but I'm not quite sure. Why don't you decide, pitcher? Right? Or, I think that was a home run, I saw it went over the fence, but I don't know, right? No, we want absolutes, and we want it all the time. But we, we don't want absolutes when it gets in the way of us living the life that we uh, want to live. Right? And that's the heart of sin, that's the origin, origin of this. We want to live and master our own lives, and when we say... Christianity is the way and Jesus is the way, then it puts some greater authority over us and we have to say, okay, I don't want to do this, but because I believe certain things, I'm going to live my life that way. And we all do it all the way. And again, what's your master narrative? If your master narrative is about having a good time and living life, then you're a slave to that master narrative just as much as you think I'm a slave to the God of the, of the Bible. We're all slaves to something. You're just choosing that having a good time or making a lot of money or this other thing, that's, that's what you're choosing to, to live your life based on. 
Um, and again, this is an exclusive statement. All religion, you know, it's like, it's arrogant. That statement is itself it is an arrogant statement. Does that make sense? It's like, all other religions are arrogant to say that you should uh, believe what you believe. That statement, you're standing outside of it, and you're going, you're arrogant. Well, you're essentially being the same sort of arrogance that you're just telling me that I'm wrong. Right? So this is like, okay, this is tired head. But the idea is, in these conversations, you don't have to be there going to know every sort of tenet of what another religion believes to say, oh, uh, you know, Zen Buddhism is wrong because X, Y, and Z. All you can, you know, all you have to say is, okay, you tell me that it's it's not the same and it, it's very different and it's it's going to be. It just opens up the conversation so you're not having to know all the facts. Does that make sense? All right, um, and then. Another response is right. We can we can ban all religions. We can condemn all religions. Um, another one is is this, just keep it to yourself, right? You hear this? Just keep it to yourself. You believe what you believe. I'm gonna believe what I believe, right? Let's keep let's keep Jesus in, in church. Because the fear is what if we if if we actually openly have dialogue about the differences in what we believe, what is the fear? Rejection, uh, loss, of loss of status, right? In the public sphere, it's going to bring it's going to bring problems, right? So let's just not talk about religion, right? The separation of church and state. It becomes like the standard, like, hey, you can't talk to me about Jesus. Separation of church and state. Like, I don't even know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is we, and I think this is the idea. We make religious decisions all the time. We make policy decisions all the time based on our deeply held values. It's impossible to separate. If something truly is deep down to the core of who we are, it's impossible for you to make a decision or make a value choice that is different from that. Now you may have a stated value system, like you may grow up in the church or go to church and be like, I... I'm a Christian, I identify that. But your life has a completely different value system than that. Your life says, I actually believe in, uh, like I said, making a lot of money. I believe in doing whatever I want. I say that I believe in Jesus, but my values, how I act, don't actually um, follow suit with that. My master narrative is different. We make value choices all the time. And as a society, one of the things that makes America great is that we can make value choices, and we can uh, prescribe something. The very fact, I mean, you just want to like scoreboard something like, slavery, okay? Do you want slavery around? Good. You don't. And you can thank Christianity for getting, that rid, uh, getting rid of that. That was a positive force that was rooted in scripture, it was rooted in, in, in a value decision based on religion. And most of the advances of, um, you know, in the 20th century, of standing and order, all those things like that, those are all people acting on the value system of the Bible saying all people are created in God's image. That's something that I can get behind. Um, so I'm just trying to see what we got. Uh, So there is a, there's one other option in this 
is, um, I feel like, is creeping up in the church. And it has a different name than pluralism. It's called inclusivism. Anyone heard that word before? Inclusivism. Okay, pluralism is saying, hey, there are multiple paths, if not all paths lead to God. Inclusivism is one that's popular, I think, in Christians. Uh, you, already, and you may not know what it's called, but it, you'll know it when you hear this, because it's very popular for pastors um, to teach this. And that is this idea that, okay, there's really one way, and that way is Jesus. Um, but when everything gets worked out, you know, in Christ, uh, and, and you die... Whatever you believe, it's okay, because God's grace will cover it all. Anyone ever heard that before? Like, you will eventually, there's a book called Love Wins by a really fun guy who's great at being a TV pastor, right? Um, love Wins has this idea like, hey, it's all good, because in the end, love is going to win out. Grace is going to win out. So when someone dies, and maybe they're a Muslim or they're agnostic, God's love is so great and so awesome that that person is just going to want to turn to Jesus after they die. Right? It sounds awesome. It's like, okay, I get the inclusive, inclusive and I don't have to share the gospel. I don't have to share my faith. That person still gets to uh, do whatever they want. I don't feel like a jerk. But in the end, Jesus wins. Right? Yay! We get it both ways. And I see this a lot, right? Being taught in churches, it's like, okay, you can have your cultural accommodation. You can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Um, but the problem is, it's just not, the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible does not teach it. Romans chapter 10 uh, says this, starting in verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord, for he gives generously to all who call on him. That's this idea that Christianity actually is very inclusive. Because there's nothing more than trusting in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus that brings you into the family of God. Yes? Does the logical opposite of that inherently require that those who don't call on Jesus won't be saved? Exactly. That's the, that's the whole point. And then he goes on and says, They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. But how can they call on him... To save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him unless they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? The idea is that there is a point where every person must encounter Jesus and make a decision in this earthly life. Yes? What do you say with the comment about the people who've never heard of the gospel? That's great. I don't know. I don't know. The Bible does not explicitly say that God's going to just like open up the floodgates and let everybody in. I believe God is gracious. I believe he's good. But the reality is it's not based on simply, okay, they didn't hear it. They're going to pass, right? It's the Bible teaches you've got to be held accountable for your sin. And the only way that we can be held accountable for our sin and survive that is by trusting or calling on the name of Jesus. How does that work out? I don't know. But that should 
and propel us into missions to tell other people about Jesus because if there's any sort of doubt that this is what God is saying, then I'd better be on the side that says more people need Jesus than have them right now. Yes? I just I thought of a verse that's, because I've wondered about that, like the guy on the desert island that's never heard of Christ or whatever. There's a verse, Romans 1.20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Yeah, right? And that's the idea is, it feels really bad to say somebody's going to hell who never heard of Jesus, right? Just, man, so we want to figure out a way to finagle scripture to make it go, okay, I can make this happen. I just, I look at the Bible and I go, I don't, I can't find this. And I wish I could. I wish I could be like, dude, it's all good. Stay where you are. No one's, you know. That's up to God to figure out. And if he's if he's got some other, you know, if he's got some way to reveal his the name of Jesus to people right before they're dying, and they're like, sweet, I just haven't seen it. So we look at it and we go, man, Christianity sucks. There's people who should hear about Jesus but never do, and that means they get locked out of the kingdom forever. I don't know what to do with that. But I do know this. I like to focus on the idea that the fact that God saves anybody is gracious. It's good. He saved me. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't like, oh, um, you know, like, Kevin's going to be a pastor. Like, he's awesome, right? The fact that God saves anybody is gracious. The fact that he saves a room full of people is awesome. The fact that he saves billions of people across the, the span of history shows that God is incredibly gracious and inclusive. Right? God doesn't want people to... I don't, I don't know how to wrestle with. God doesn't want... You know, no... The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. I'm butchering that verse. But, you know, that verse, that God doesn't want anyone... That anyone should perish, versus some, you know, some will not enter the kingdom. I don't, I don't know how to reconcile those two, except for the fact that the grace of God is much bigger than I can ever possibly imagine. So if I'm going to side and figure out a faith that I'm going to put my trust in, it's one that says the gates are open wide. And I'm going to do my best to make his name known among the people. And I think the biggest fear is this. If we have a posture where we're like, I'm scared to open up the conversation because I don't want to offend people. Man, that is the most unloving thing that we can do. Because over here, there's, there's a generation, there's a world of people who need to hear about the hope of Jesus. And if we want to be loving by withholding what we know, we're actually being incredibly unloving. And I know that doesn't make you more bold about walking across the room and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? But it should stir something in your heart that if God has done something in you, saved you, pointed you out and said, you wretched sinner, I love you and I want to save you. I want to rescue you from your sins and all of your friends too, and all of your co-workers too, and all of your family too. You need to tell others about me. That's what I hope stirs up in us. Instead of being standing back and, and being on the defensive, we should be on the offensive and say, the world needs to hear. And you know what? 
The church needs you, each and every one of you, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in this, in this city, in this town. Because your age group is by far the most lost generation. And my heart breaks that we have been so conditioned to believe that what we believe is intolerant, it's wrong, so we're just not going to enter in the conversation because we want to be nice, good citizens of Fort Worth that get along and have a good reputation. But God is calling each of us to risk something deep for the gospel. To say, my allegiance to Jesus means much more than my status. And the grace that has been poured over my life is so amazing that I want everybody else to know. And I don't care what that costs me. Even if it means that I look like an idiot. Even if that means that I might lose some relationships along the way. Because what you'll gain is so much greater. I've talked too much. But, can I, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be here if you guys want to ask more questions, but um, can I pray for you guys? God, I love, love, love the fact that there is a room full of people who are willing to wrestle with these questions. And I know that not every person in this room probably necessarily even believes in that's cool. I'm so glad that they're here. But I pray, Lord, that you would um, give them confidence in the gospel. Confidence in who you are and in what you've revealed about yourself. Confidence in the idea that you and you alone um, can save, but that you are willing, and you displayed that on the cross, that you are willing to lay down your life so that we would have the life everlasting. So I pray that as they go into the city of Fort Worth, into their jobs, into their families, that you would spark in them a desire to make your name great through them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.